This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, In those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Advent is a dark time. It is, of course, literally dark as the days shorten sunlight becomes more scarce and we draw ever closer to the winter solstice. But perhaps more importantly, Advent is a dark time theologically, as our lessons this morning vividly reveal. We hear descriptions of the end of times, when the heavens are torn asunder, mountains are quaking, stars fall from the skies, a veritable cosmic cataclysm, culminating in the Son of Man riding in on a cloud with an army of angels and archangels. This ominous imagery we experience today in church is in stark contrast, of course, to the tinsel and merriment of our shopping malls and town centers, already brightly lit with Christmas decorations and echoing with sounds of silly songs about Santa and reindeer. I suspect all of us would much rather enjoy this lighter side of the season, with its focus on gift-buying, parties, concerts, and the like, rather than sitting here listening to the doom and gloom of Isaiah and Mark 13. And yet the church insists that we start the new liturgical year of Advent in darkness. The question is why? 
Why must we first face the darkness? Why can't we go straight to the joyful squeals of the babe in the manger? The answer, I submit, is because the Christian faith has always been grounded in an utterly honest assessment of the human condition, of the reality of pain and suffering and death, of the fragility of life, and of the human propensity to do evil. Much as we might want to cover up the violence of the world we live in with garland and holly, such cheap sentimentality is a rather hollow response to the cries of a Palestinian mother whose child's life was ended by a bomb in Gaza or to a Ukrainian father who hasn't seen his family in months as he sits dodging gunfire in a foxhole on the Russian border, or even to members of this very community who have recently suffered grievous loss. One of the reasons that the Christian gospel makes sense is that it takes fully into account the sadness and brokenness of this life. If we continue to speak only of peace and love and joy when Jesus has predicted conflict and catastrophe, as he did in today's lesson, then we have simply refused to hear a substantial part of his message. You see, there is a link between suffering and the kingdom of God, a close connection, in fact, that is the message of the cross, and it is also the message of today's Advent lessons. And one of the upshots of these readings is that there is no way out of this troubled world of ours other than by God's action, other than by God taking the initiative to reach into our world to make things right. Human action alone is not enough. It never has been. On our own, we are lost, trapped in seemingly endless cycles of violence, suffering, and grief. Any serious student of history knows this. Any human being who has experienced the sudden loss of a loved one knows this. Anybody who reads the morning papers knows this. This, my friends, is why Advent starts in the dark. Because we are in the dark. And our only hope for rescue is in and through the light that Christ brings to us. And for this reason, the posture of Advent is waiting, watchful waiting, waiting attentively in the dark for the light and life of the world to arrive. And that's what we hear in today's lessons, each of them. In our reading from Isaiah, the people of Judah do not understand why their God is so slow to restore their treasured city of Jerusalem as they return from captivity in Babylon, only to find their home desecrated and in ruins, 
The prophet, however, reminds the people in verse 4 that, quote, God works for those who wait for him. So, too, in our psalm, do we hear the urgent cries of a people who are growing weary of waiting for God to show his face to them. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. But perhaps the most urgent words of waiting we hear today are from Jesus himself who in our gospel lesson, which is immediately before his passion, he gathers his disciples to prepare them for some dark and dangerous and uncertain times ahead by admonishing them to stay alert as they wait for their future king to fully reveal himself, both in his death and resurrection, which is to come in the next few weeks and in his future coming again at the end of the ages. Waiting, that is the watchword for Advent. And the wisdom of waiting is that it reminds us that we are not in control after all. That we are, in fact, dependent upon something bigger than ourselves for our very being for inspiration, for guidance, for our ultimate flourishing, and yes, for our salvation. It turns out, however, that waiting is something that we're not terribly good at and that we need practice to do. And there's a difference between holy waiting and just biding time. Holy waiting is grounded in the hope of a promise. To be a faithful person is to trust in God's promises and to be anchored by them in our waiting. And if you're looking for a biblical example, think of Elizabeth and Mary in Luke's Gospel. The scene of the visitation is one of my very favorites where these two faithful women visit one another with new life stirring in their wombs each giving comfort to the other as they expectantly await for these holy infants to emerge, wondering who they will be and what God has in store for them. This is a holy waiting, precisely because these women trust that God is at work in them and that the future is in God's hands. Such holy waiting also has a deep emotional current to it, precisely because the stakes are so high. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Every parent's worst nightmare is to be in a busy public place only to lose track of one's child. Have you ever had that experience? I have. Now imagine for a moment that you are that four-year-old who has been separated from his mother in a sprawling shopping mall during the Christmas rush. You can't see your mom anywhere. You scream her name, but no one answers. You are surrounded only by strangers whizzing by, all indifferent to your plight, leaving you utterly 
vulnerable and alone. You are lost. Can you feel in that moment the intensity of desire that child feels in his heart for reunion with his mother, knowing that he is lost and that only she can save him? That intensity of expectant desire is what we should feel during Advent. For whether we know it or not, we are a lost people, and only a God who comes to us can save us. One of the great myths of our culture is the lie of self-sufficiency, the belief that everyone can take care of themselves with no help from anyone else. That is pride talking, the pride that comes before the fall. Time and time again, the stories of the Gospels reveal that the proud and the righteous cannot recognize Christ because they believe they are just fine on their own, pretending that they are not shipwrecked. But the contrite and the humble and the lost, those who know that they are shipwrecked, they recognize and take to Christ immediately. They are drawn to the light and will not leave it because having once been lost, they now can see and they will do everything they can to cling to the light that has come to them. In short, only by God coming to us in our darkness are we then able to get our bearings and find our way. This coming of God into our lives is not something we could have discovered, invented, or imagined on our own. It is news. It arrives from beyond the boundaries of ourselves, beyond all we know. It is news from across the seas to the shipwrecked, from the other side of the gulf between humans and God. And it is good news, the good news we have been waiting for. So with all of that said, I have a rather unusual Advent prayer for you this season. And that prayer, strange as it may sound, is that you might explore the ways in which you are in the dark and have lost your way. Not so that you may stay lost, but rather so that you might feel anew the intensity of desire for the Holy One who will come into this world, who has come into this world, who is coming in this world to show you the way home and to save you. If you do this, you just may realize that the good news of Christmas, when it does come, is very much like the indescribable joy of a lost child being swept up into the welcoming arms of a loving mother who promises never to let go again. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. 
You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.